Hey everyone, Javier here. I just want to make a quick note before we start today's episode of The In-Between. Sophia has actually changed the name of her piece. It is now called Gollum. It is no longer called A Forge of Stone. That being said, I hope you enjoy the episode and I will see you next time. My name is Javier Colon. Welcome to The In-Between. Today I am joined by Sophia Zutuni to talk about their thesis film titled A Forge of Stone. Hey, Sophia. Hi, Javi. <laughs> How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really good, thank you. Congratulations uh, on being on the show and being my last interview of the series. How do you feel? I feel great about that. <laughs> it's very <laughs> fitting to be, the, to be the last one because of my last name. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like the Z. Yeah. I noticed that you actually <laughs> scheduled this interview a few weeks ago. I wonder if this was intentional on your part to be the last interview. No, no, not not intentional at all. I am excited to talk about your piece because I've kind of followed your thesis a little bit because we were in the same thesis production class, but I know that this has changed a lot since the last time I've seen it, and I'm just excited to talk about it. So, um, But first of all, before we get into that, uh, how about you introduce yourself? Who are you and what do you do? My name is Sophia Zatuni. Um, most people call me Soph. I am a senior in computer uh, the computer arts major, and the work I do primarily right now is storyboarding. But I'm familiar with like screenwriting, previs and layout, like pretty much everything in like the the front end of the pipeline. I'm comfortable doing, um, but I'm primarily a story artist. Like that's kind of where I want to go in my career. How did you find yourself at SVA? So I knew um, I've always loved filmmaking. I used to make like little live action films with my what was it? This flip phone, this really tiny flip phone you get before the 2010s. It was like, mm-hmm. like it had a camera and I would like film things like whether it was like, like my cousins acting a scene out or something. Right. Like we, like my sister and I, we'd like write stories, you know. And That's so um, cool. <laughs> and you're doing it on a flip phone. Very, very low yeah. budget. <laughs> yeah. And then, it, and then it got upgraded to like iPhone. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was usually just like parodies of like stuff we saw on TV. And then of course, like flip book animation stuff. But yeah, um, I, I was really interested in SVA because there were some artists like on the early days of Tumblr back in like 20, like 2009 or something or like 2010. Yeah, like prehistoric times. Yeah, literally there were some really cool Tumblr artists. They would just do fan art, but they were all from like SVA. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And they went to the 2D department. Mm-hmm. And I just thought their work was amazing, like just being able to animate and stuff. That's kind of what led me to SVA. Um, I went to another school before SBA. I went to Micah in Baltimore, mm-hmm. but I felt that I wanted something more like animation focused and mm-hmm. like less experimental. So I went to the 2D program at SBA. And then after a year of that, I was like, oh, I think I want to learn CG because I was seeing all the work they were doing. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really cool. So yeah, then I went to my sophomore year as a 3D student. And that's great that you kind of like, we were inspired by a medium and then decided to pursue that medium Almost directly, you know, and that's yeah. really awesome that SVA kind of had that little connection for you to make that jump into the 3D department, which is cool. But it kind of sounds like you're going back to your 2D kind of roots uh, with storyboards and stories. So I'm curious, like, how do you incorporate those skills that you learned in 2D into 3D? To me, at least they go back and forth. When I was when I was doing 3D work, like all of the assignments, like 3D modeling and whatnot, 
I think having a background in like drawing helped me with like concept art or like drawing out certain things. Like how would this eye look? How would the topology look on this? And I think for, at least for my 2D work now, I think it was like heavily informed by my year studying Priva's because it taught me like that there was a weight to the camera and there was, there's like a logic with filmmaking. And when I was, when I was in the 2D department, I was interested in storyboarding, but I didn't feel very good as a storyboard artist. And it Mm. really wasn't until like junior year, like in the class we were in together, Mm. it wasn't until that year where I was like, Oh, I could actually like see myself doing this as a career. Cause like I enjoyed like the pitching it and like developing stories and like, of course, like boarding it. Yeah, definitely. It's a completely different, but similar process with 3d because I think specifically in the case of 3d is that you kind of have a bit of cinematography that you're working with and a little bit of like 3d space more so than the composition 2d flat planes you know of 2d animation but they kind of go hand in hand like you said so that's really awesome that you kind of carried that over and i think that that speaks to your ability as a storyboard artist because you are very talented and you are very good at what you do sophia for sure oh my gosh thank you of course (laughs) all right so now to talk about your thesis What is your thesis called and what is it about? So my thesis film is called A Forge of Stone and it's essentially about a little boy and this giant clay monster Mm -hmm. uh, that's called the golem. They form a bond over the fact that they both have lost people in their lives. So Mm -hmm. they form this bond over like shared grief and that's like the core of my story. It's like the Mm -hmm. connection between these two over like grieving people in their lives. Where did this idea come from? Um, so the idea, it came from, well, obviously, like, uh, so much trial and error since um, the year before senior mm-hmm. year, I was doing, like, story after story, just like, what is working, you know? Mm-hmm. But when um, the pandemic started, I started, like, thinking about um, someone I had lost a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was really close to them. And, like, I think just with all the the death that was happening around like in the world and like around us, mm-hmm. I started thinking about that and just how like important it is to like grieve and like find people who have like been through like a similar thing as you. Mm-hmm. So essentially I lost, um, I lost my grandma a few years back and I was really, really close to her. Like she like raised me for so many years. And um, one of my best friends, she had also lost someone really close to her. And when I was at, when I was grieving initially, years ago like I felt like I needed to talk to someone who like related to that so my best Mm. friend was like there for me and it was really cathartic because we could like connect over this like shared grief and that's where the film came from but it also came from obviously I draw a lot I had this image from last year it was it was a person in a like kind of buried in a tree like moss kind of like growing over them Mm -hmm. like they had like died by a tree and it didn't have a story but when I wrote this story about grief I was like that can be like an ending shot of like the the golem's son like at the tree like mm. the two characters like at this grave site of like the monster's kid mm-hmm. that's kind of where it came from i'm sorry if that sounds like so confusing not at all i think that that's a very clear explanation as to how this kind of came about and i think that the connection of grief between the two characters i think that that's a really fantastic motif And I think that because it speaks to your real life experiences, it furthermore kind of solidifies it as a story idea. You kind of mentioned a little bit like offhandedly earlier 
about kind of jumping between ideas. What were some of your initial ideas before you kind of came up with this one? So my initial ideas were, and I'm not saying they're bad ideas. I think they were good. I just felt like they weren't realistic for like a solo film. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first idea was about a girl learning to like overcome her, like all of her internalized fears when she gets like kidnapped by by um, monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, that was the that was the first one. The second one was this like the stray dog that's really greedy. He takes food from other dogs. And it's only until he gets bullied he realizes like it's not a good it's not a good dog. Mm-hmm. He needs to he needs to be more nice. That was one I that was another idea. Mm-hmm. And then the other idea I think was the most like simple. It was like what I had for like most of the year last year as my thesis. Um, mm-hmm. It was about this boy, like village boy, who wanders into the lair of this mythical serpent mm-hmm. and like dies. And that was like the other story. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I I, uh, I love the uplifting aspect of that piece. That sounds like a really uh, very happy time. It was so dark. <laughs> So what made you cut the serpent one? Because you mentioned that it was from the majority of last year. So I imagine that you put a lot of work and and time into it. What made you ultimately decide to kind of like sever it for lack of a better term? I do think every story I've written will be something that I revisit in like my own story portfolio, like short Mm. films in the future, because I know for a fact I'll be like, I'll keep working on like short film personal projects, like in my spare time. But I cut it because I felt, um, well, one, um, my thesis partner had left the school. So mm-hmm. I felt like to do an entire CG film by myself was not realistic or mm-hmm. healthy for me. So I wanted to play to my strengths, which is why A Forge of Stone is a 2D animated film. Yeah, that was that was kind of why I cut okay. it. But also because the story, as much as I, I really did like the story and I really liked the imagery, I felt... Like I wanted to do something that was more like that spoke more to like something I've wanted to talk about for a while, which is like shared grief, coping with it, mm. because I felt like that was necessary during this time. And also, I mean, during during any time, but I feel like especially now, like it can be so overwhelming, like mm-hmm. mentally, just in general, like it's just a very mentally taxing time with everything happening in the world. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I think that's really awesome that you kind of adapted to the circumstances, you know, what with your partner leaving and what with COVID happening and kind of playing to your strengths. And I think that, you know, that can, that speaks in volumes to anybody who might not know what to do or how to do their thesis. You know, it's it's always important to stay on top of what you know and to, to stick with what you know. This is a 2D animated film. So... I'm wondering because you're probably in a thesis productions class that doesn't cater to necessarily the 2D pipeline. How do you kind of manage your own pipeline as you're working on this film? Um, so I manage my own pipeline by, I'm, I talk to a lot of people in 2D who have done thesis films. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just ask them a lot of advice on how to stay really efficient and like to not spend too much time on one thing. I have a I have a spreadsheet, like a production schedule, and I, I follow it pretty closely. Like I try to not spend too much time on one thing or else I know for a fact I'm going to go crazy. Um, I know how easy it is to like look at Studio Ghibli or anything from Cartoon Saloon and see the backgrounds and you're like, wow, that's so beautiful. I should yeah. make the backgrounds like that. Like, no, I, I tell myself I can't like 
fall into that. Like mm-hmm. I have to spend only this amount of time on backgrounds mm-hmm. and then this amount of time on animating. Yeah. That's, that's, I kind of, I just try to stay on schedule. And as for production skills, I kind of, I, I do communicate a lot with my prod skills teacher. I think he knows that there's not much he can do, but I always reassure him that it's fine. And I always get like outside advice mm-hmm. and there's a lot of tutorials online. Like that's, that's, what's great about the internet. There's like so much stuff online for like how to use. Um, yeah, totally. Programs. Like I'm using TV paint. There's a lot of tutorials and like just being very efficient, exporting things in the after effects and then mm-hmm. there to premiere. Yeah. And of course, like a lot of amazing, like SVA 2D alumni have like talked to me about this process and whatnot. Mm-hmm. it's it's um yeah it's it's really good i think it's nice that there's like other people you can contact and like i feel like since everyone's like remote mm-hmm. they're like more likely to look at their like discord messages or something <laughs> yeah totally there's definitely a much more emphasis on connection now that you know yeah. we're not next to each other anymore i think everybody yeah, can kind of relate to that for sure that's awesome that you kind of keep yourself accountable that you find those resources that you need and uh, you mentioned spreadsheets. I love spreadsheets, but oh, uh, <laughs> they're like the best, right? But I was just kind of curious because you mentioned that you have to try to prevent yourself from getting off track, right? Like when it comes to backgrounds, especially like you kind of want to develop those a little further. How do you make sure that you stay on track and you don't kind of divert from that path? You know, what are some tips that you have to like stay concentrated and to stay focused on that task? Not, it's always funny when, when you have to put things into words, like how to stay organized, it's yeah, like for of me, course. it kind of, it's kind of just second nature because I just know, like, if I don't do this, like it will be very off track and like, we, will, mm. we might not meet the deadline. Mm-hmm. Um, I always just keep that like looming deadline in the back of my head, like mm-hmm. the thesis deadline. Yeah. I, I think most of it is just being able to like, take a step back, like, and realize like, Cause you know, most shots in this film, they're not like super long. So you're mm-hmm. not with the background for the longest time. And to me, like the emphasis and what I like doing is like character um, interactions and whatnot, like through storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I focus, I definitely focus way more on the animation aspect of things um, over the background aspect. Like mm-hmm. the, I think the backgrounds are one of the only things I'm going to kind of outsource to other people that I know, like a, one or two artists mm-hmm. that I know could do it. Cause the, the backgrounds are actually relatively simple. Like to me, the hardest thing is, is animating and compositing all of it together. But yeah, I think to stay on, stay on track. I, it's easy to like think of too many things. Like, I gotta get this shot done and this shot done. Mm-hmm. And there's like so many steps that go into making a completed shot, but it's always good to just focus on like one thing at a time mm. and kind of do the whole shot, like all the way. I mean, at least for me, um, when I rough animate, I like coloring it in the same pass mm-hmm. and then having that background ready so that I can be cut in after effects. I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm learning a lot. I'm, I'm learning a lot through this film. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You're, I think you're learning a lot, not only from a, uh, from a 2d production standpoint, from just a production standpoint in general, right? Like how yeah. to manage a film, how to make sure that X, Y, Z is done by ABC time. You know, there's, that level of responsibility on everybody's part who's working on a film like this. So it's definitely a learning experience. To add to that, I actually uh, had, I got some really good advice from this like storyboard artist, like 
four week boot camp that I went to. Mm-hmm. The advice was uh, it's from Mike Rianda, who like he he's a director at Sony Animation. Mm-hmm. His advice was like like to all of the students. Like this class had like so many people to do this work, like any kind of animation work. Do the first version really rough and like really quickly because like if you spend too much time on it, you might not finish it and it might just stay in your head. Mm. So you get the first pass done relatively quick. Then you get feedback and you get it torn apart and then you do it again. Mm. You know, whether that's like, this is mostly for storyboarding, but I think the same can be said for like 2D animation or background painting mm-hmm. or like whatever um, craft people have, you know, do first pass rough, get feedback, do it again, get more feedback, and then you perfect it until the deadline. Mm. As opposed to trying to get it perfect on the first try, understand that there will be iterations yeah. before you start. Yeah. Totally. I think that that's actually really solid advice and uh, a little, not necessarily unconventional, but something that you don't hear very often because, you know, obviously, and I think that this is kind of an unsaid truth, you know, you want to try to get it right on the first try, but having that malleability in mind definitely Mm -hmm. makes it a stronger piece in the long run. Yeah. Like, I think that's definitely what what Mike Rianda was trying to tell the class. Like, of course, like, don't just do like a version of it and be like, yeah, I'm done. Like, no, like, like, no, no, that's not, that's not at all what he's doing. It's like, get it, you know, like go in thinking I need to make this like the best I can do it. But, you know, you don't have to make everything perfect about Mm -hmm. it. It's, I think in animation, 2D and 3D, it's all about like just clarity and what, um, what's convincing, like what's convincing Mm -hmm. about the performance or the background or the set dressing, lighting, you know, like, I think that's the big thing. Like I always hear from like industry people, like that's really important. Just having something that is clear and convincing mm-hmm. that it could exist in the real world, but it. Cause that's the fantastic thing about our medium is that we are real world adjacent, right? Yeah, there's yeah. a, there's a bit of fantastical elements in our in our line of work you know uh, especially with your clay figure clay golem i should say yeah <laughs> so kind of talking about your film a little bit more i was curious because a clay golem and a boy are very specific characters do you think that you can kind of speak to the origins of either one um well the boy at least design wise he was kind of my old thesis character, the one with the serpent. So, but, but he has, he, I think he definitely has more of a personality now than in the other film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's, he's more like he, he doesn't want to get help at first. And I think that's what the first part of the film hopefully conveys like that. Mm-hmm. He's, he's reluctant to get help from this mythical figure, not because he's, necessarily scared of him but because he's just not ready to like connect with other people after like mm-hmm. something so fresh happens like a like a death in the family so yeah in terms of his character he's kind of based off of my, my a little bit of myself like how i would kind of close myself off after like a death in the family because mm-hmm. I, I feel like in my experience like with grief there's always kind of two kinds of people there's like the ones that are like i don't want to talk to anyone and they just kind of go off on their own mm. and then there's the ones that are like i just want to like connect with other people and like distract myself from things i think i'm definitely the, the former because mm. i'm a little more like to myself about those things mm-hmm. like just shove it all down <laughs> but that's not that's not good just i'll keep my feelings right here and then one day i'll die <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah just keep shoving it down no one has to know 
but the golem he is it's funny because he's he's definitely meant to be like this friendly like father like father figure to this this boy but his character is based off of like one of my best friends oh yeah yeah because um uh, my best friend her name is lily she'll probably listen to this podcast (laughs) Um, (laughs) well hi lily if you're listening (laughs) um she uh she was like someone who was there for me when Mm. when i lost my grandma because she had lost someone too so we like automatically like could like relate and like speak to those experiences Mm -hmm. and she's definitely someone who's more like i mean she needs of course like needs time to decompress after something horrible like that happens but she's definitely more like we should talk like you don't Mm. sound like you're okay like like you need a hug you know yeah she was very much like present for you yeah yeah that's kind of what the the goal is he is essentially like lily because Mm -hmm. she lost someone way before i did Mm. And there were times where I was like, why is she being so nice? And then I was thinking, oh my God, it's like, like you kind of like forget. You're just like, oh, right. Like she lost someone too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's an interesting thing, but yeah, that's kind of subconsciously, I think where the characters came from, but I was, but I really like fantasy, but not like high fantasy, more like low fantasy mm-hmm. where it's a little more quiet. Um, and I really liked <laughs> drawing this like, like kid and like this monster. Like I love that dynamic. Mm-hmm. so much like just this giant thing and it's like a little kid and their <laughs> friends and the monster protects the yeah kid. they're like the best buds forever <laughs> yeah it's like that's that's like one of my favorite like character dynamics to like draw out so that's kind of where they came from and obviously the golem is uh well not obviously i'm, I'm a big history nerd so i kind of read about this stuff <laughs> a lot but folklore and jewish folklore there's at least in eastern european jewish folklore there's this figure called the golem of prague and he was like carved by a rabbi, I think in the 18th century in, in Prague mm-hmm. um, to defend like the Jewish people from like anti-Semitic attacks. And mm-hmm. I would look at art like all over, um, I think it's the Czech Republic, I might be wrong, but there's <laughs> a ton of images like on Google and stuff of just how artists interpret the golem. And it's like so interesting because some of them are just like, he's just this clay blob and others are like, he looks more like a human, but he's like made out of clay. Mm. Yeah, I that's kind of, that's where he comes from. I saw the design of the clay golem and I thought it was just really interesting and really kind of not necessarily specific, but it kind of looked historical. So that's why I was kind of asking about that. Uh, Mm. And as far as the personalities of both relating to your real life experience, I think that that gives them even more life than they would have had before, you know, knowing that there's history quite literally behind both of them. Even though this is a solo film, I knew I would need like a character designer. And it's funny that I mentioned like, you know, Lily being kind of the basis for like this character. She was, she's also a character designer. So she like actually, she took my like super rough like storyboard drawings and sketches mm-hmm. and she like helped turn them into like these turnarounds that you mm-hmm. see on the, um, on the presentation, I think, on voice thread <laughs> where we all had to put our stuff. Yes, that was, that was uh, Lily. Her name is Lily Trenton character mm. designer extraordinaire um yeah she she helped a lot with like finalizing the golem's design because i was like showing her what i wanted out of this character and like it was a back and forth process but i'm glad we settled on the one that is in the film because mm. it's just so much more like it's easier to keep track of when animating mm-hmm. so because i i would have gone for something super crazy but i knew i'd be like one of the only people animating on this thing so i wanted to make it as like streamlined as possible. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, it, it definitely looks really, really good. So credits to to both you and Lily for creating a character that represents <laughs> both you and Lily. So there you go. <laughs> Best awesome. friends. <laughs> so I know that we're kind of on a bit of a happier note. So you mentioned earlier that you had to change your thesis story around a lot. And I imagine that a lot of that changes and a lot of that time kind of putting into the piece was not smooth sailing for lack of a better term so i just was curious like what would you say so far has been your worst moment or least proud moment i should really say in thesis i think the hardest thing so far at least the kind of the i don't want to call it the worst moment but kind of a uh, like this is weird moment was when i was presenting my animatic to my current thesis instructor i think it was just like because it was so, um, it was a very, I'll be honest, it was a very abstract idea. Like going mm-hmm. off of my script, it was very abstract. And to put that to image is like such a challenge. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I guess, one of the harder moments. I don't want to call it worse because I, I have, I'm lucky. I don't think I've experienced a worse moment at thesis. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much been, I work and then I don't work on it. Like, you know, like you just like there's not really a lot of like in between. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, I think um, it was difficult at the beginning of the year, like around October, because there were things I the film had a lot of other scenes in it, which we had to cut out. And Mm. for me, I was I was it wasn't too difficult because I'm not really like like married to a particular scene or anything like that. So I was fine with things being cut out. But I think it was just the process of like I did so many animatics of this film. Mm-hmm. And it's funny when you do certain shots, it's like you do certain things like so many times. And then Isaac was like, oh, I think that first version of the animatic or like the third version of it was like this part was better. And as as frustrating as that is, it does make me happy that like people see something good and like the other mm-hmm. versions, which means I was doing something right. Because right. sometimes I'll get into like a headspace where I'm like, this is so like garbage like no one's gonna get this <laughs> yeah. like this is a story that only makes sense to me mm-hmm. like so it makes me happy when people understand certain things in the different versions i'd say that was like the toughest thing now it's just been a lot of animating and compositing and uh, compositing the backgrounds and adding little like lighting effects and in after effects so it's nice i'll, I'll be honest like there are times where you feel really low. And that might just be because it's like winter in New York. This semester was like around that time where I was trying to get the story just right. Mm. Like everything perfect, everything perfectly paced. Because I care mm. a lot about the like to have it perfectly edited together and everything timed correctly. And I remember after one class, I was, I think I was, uh, my teacher was afraid I would fall behind. But I felt like I was behind because I had to keep mm. going over like confusing notes from my advisor. Mm-hmm. And after that class, he was like, you know, I hope like you get back on track kind of thing. And it like mm-hmm. made me so upset because I had felt like for like a, that whole month, I was just doing so many revisions and I thought, you know, the story made sense to me, but I guess like to him, he felt like it could be better mm-hmm. and all these things. Um, but I just remember thinking like, um, I was afraid like that this instructor had like lost hope in me. And that mm-hmm. was a dark time because I do remember like crying after class. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I I can imagine that, you know, when somebody that you're looking for, for advice and for counsel kind of gives off that impression of not having as much faith in the project as you do, that can feel very defeating. But I think that, you know, it's something that 
happens sometimes. And I think that your thesis now is better for that experience, you know, and you have caught up and you have gotten to that, that point where you're more comfortable with what you're putting out and then the workload that you have. So then in that case, uh, we're kind of on a downer note and I'm not a Debbie Downer. I always like to end things on a happier note. So what would you say has been your best moment in thesis so far? Maybe some time that you felt like this is attainable, doable, ready to go. There are a few times, few moments. There was one where it was actually like right before break. I was compiling like a rough edit of my film. So some shots that are animated, some that are fully complete, and then some that are still in like a storyboard phase. But essentially the whole film, like is starting to come together with animation and with backgrounds and lighting and stuff. Um, and I remember seeing some of the shots like progress. They had, and they were fully colored. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, this looks so cool. <laughs> like, yeah. wow, I'm making a film. Like, mm-hmm. that's so cool. And it's honestly like one of the best feelings. I think another time was I was showing my work to one of my mentors and I was like, hey, can you look at my work? And he saw it after after he had given me one note, which was mm-hmm. like to make something more, like make the grave at the end more clear that it's a grave. So I like added a few drawings and I sent it to him. And I think he sent something like, looks great. And I was thinking, okay, that's like all I needed. <laughs> <laughs> You're like perfect. That's like, <laughs> like I was thinking, I thought I was going to get like a mountain of notes, but mm-hmm. He thought it looked good. So I was like, oh, that's great. Um, and then I have uh, someone who is currently mentoring me as mm-hmm. a, like someone who is a story artist at a company. And she looks at my work too. I was showing her my, um, I didn't even show her the rough edit. I just showed her the animatic and she really thought it was like super clear. And she, she understood it. I told her no background on the film and she understood mm-hmm. like every story beat and stuff. So I was like, oh, thank God. Like to me, that like means a lot. And it's mm-hmm. like, and even in the animatic stage, it's like it'll only get more clearer as color is added, as things get more animated. So that makes me like happy when someone can understand just the rough animatic of it, because mm-hmm. that means the storytelling's there, and that's like like my life goal: the storytelling yeah. and the sequence. <laughs> exactly, totally. As as if you can get that down, then that kind of speaks to your ability as a story artist. So I think that's really awesome, and it's cool that you're having somebody mentor you. Uh, as you're working on this piece. So I kind of want to explore that idea of the mentor just a little bit because mm-hmm. uh, I think that that's very unique. And I think that that's very interesting that you kind of ask for extra help in such a formal fashion. So what are some of the benefits of having a mentor kind of overlooking your piece specifically for storyboarding and story artistry? I think um, the benefits are it's just having someone with... Um, industry eyes like looking mm-hmm. at your work and saying like if if they understand it to me that makes me feel like my work could one day be at that level mm-hmm. that industry standard of like storyboarding yeah the same the same could be said for, for my other mentor even though he's not a storyboard artist he still like understands like these principles of filmmaking and drawing and stuff so mm-hmm. mentorships are definitely like they're you know they're like you do it outside of class you kind of you do a lot of work and you kind of show it to them and you're like, Hey, what do you think? And they get it. They tear, they tear it apart or they give draw reverse or critique and then you do it again. I think, I think it is, it is beneficial. Um, the, the first mentor that I was showing this to was, which I still stayed in contact with and it's great because he still looks at my work and it's really, it's really good, um, to have like other eyes on it. Not necessarily storyboard eyes, but still cinematography eyes nonetheless. Mm. Um, and then my other mentor who I recently started talking to, um, she works at Blue Sky 
but yeah, she's she's really cool. Like, I think yeah, I think having like someone like two people to look at your work um, besides your instructors is kind of refreshing because they're usually not as familiar with the film as like your instructors are. Mm-hmm. It's like all my instructors have seen my work so many times, so they know the story like front and back. Um, but to show it to like people who were not involved in the um, process, it's it's really nice because they can have like outside eyes looking at it and saying like, you know, like this isn't working or like this shot isn't clear enough or this shot can be better. And I think that's really good because like, especially like right now, like there's always like ways to like improve your work, um, you know, not change the story, but like, you know, like you can always like edit like lighting in one scene mm-hmm. and make like something more of a down shot or an up shot. It's, it's nice. I, I think it's good. Um, it's definitely not like a frequent thing. Like it's usually like, every once in a while i'm like randomly like can you look at my work (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) like they're very very laid back kind of yeah yeah that's definitely very great that you have those set of eyes to kind of critique your work besides your instructors i think that's something that not a lot of people think about when it comes to thesis is, is having as many eyes on it professionally and otherwise on it as possible so that way it can be the most perfect version of itself well you know in your heart you know it can't be perfect because Mm -hmm. that's like kind of unhealthy but you can aim to make it the most perfect thing Mm -hmm. it can be like realistically because maybe if i had a team this would be like a lot more professional looking but (laughs) (laughs) because it's me it's like you're gonna get you're gonna get me yeah exactly (laughs) i'm trying i'm trying to get it to that industry level Lord knows I am trying to get it to be as perfect as possible, but trying to stay healthy and not like not kill myself over a film. But we have to we have to be careful. We have to take care of our health and all that. Absolutely. It's just it's so easy to get into the like, I'm going to work all day, every day, because I was like getting like that this past semester. and It was not healthy at all. It's something that I actually talked to Isabella the other day about burnout and how important it is yeah. to make sure you avoid it at all costs you know like yeah, it's yeah. it's not good it's not healthy for you it's not healthy for your work ethic etc yeah she she knows how bad it we, we actually have the same um thesis instructor so we have our own like things with that mm-hmm. yeah we were pretty close to getting burnt out this semester mm-hmm. all actually all three of us just in the apartment because um, mm-hmm. it's kind of it's a lot to like see everybody working on something yeah you, the only time you're like taking breaks is to like make dinner (laughs) it's like pretty bad it's definitely daunting to see everybody else work because then you kind of feel the pressure to work as well when genuinely you need to understand that you have your own limits as a worker you need to understand and take care of yourself before you start working so that's something really important speaking to that a little bit this transitions very nicely into our sort of advice column of the podcast uh, especially because of your particular educational journey, what would you tell your freshman self about SVA? My freshman self. So I was in I was in 2D at that time. What I would tell my freshman self is honestly like school. So a lot of people think they can come into school and out of four and after four years they're gonna be like a Brad Bird level filmmaker. And that is not <laughs> gonna happen because not everyone is going to go on that path. I think you know, you kind of have to decide like whether you want to be someone who wants to like direct stuff or be like that creator, or if you want to be more of like an artist, like helping someone mm. with their things. 
Mm-hmm. Um, cause I know there are, I mean, at least in my year, there were a lot of like people who were like, I want to like direct things. And that's like a great feeling to like hold on to. Um, but it's okay if you don't want to direct, like that's totally fine. Like mm-hmm. it's okay to say like, I just want to do backgrounds or like be like a vis dev artist and not direct things. Like it literally isn't for everyone. I do think like art school is definitely like, like you get what you put in. I think if you like you can't go in like expecting anything. You have mm. to like put the work in. Right. Um, and you have to hold yourself accountable. Like honestly, like no amount of like mentorship will ever like hold you accountable. Right. I think, I think a mentorship is just, it's having like another set of eyes on your work with, with the advice that like you trust, like whose opinions you trust that like kind of help you grow as a professional. But I do think like most of art school is like go in and like give it your all. Like whether it's like cloth simulation or mm-hmm. lighting or look dev, like just give it your all and find some find a mentor, find some great mentors. Yeah, exactly. Just find <laughs> find be, somebody be that nice. you trust. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like be and be nice to people. Oh my god. I think that that piece of advice of being nice and being sh- making sure that you are as amiable to everybody that you meet, it'll yeah. help you a lot further in the long run as opposed to the short term thinking of I'm going to use you for this project yeah. and for use you for this thing. Like just. Just be a genuine person. Yeah. There was like, um, not in my year, but in the year before, apparently like my teachers would be like, oh, there were students that were like sabotaging each other's work. And I'm just <sighs> thinking that's, that's horrible. Like, I, I mean, yeah, like we are competing for like similar jobs, but these are people that like, they might be your coworkers and that's like to, to sabotage their projects. That'd be like horrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like they're your coworkers. They are your peers and scarily they may be your supervisors so it's definitely <laughs> a good idea to be very on yeah. good terms with everybody right oh my goodness yeah i mean i guess yeah the big thing for me would just be if i could redo like my sv experience over mm-hmm. well obviously i'd jump right into computer arts as opposed to doing the 2d year mm-hmm, um, of course <laughs> but um i did learn some good things that year um mm. but i think I, I kind of wish I made more time for like short film projects, like mm. like two week films, that kind of thing. I did not do that during my time here, um, except for mini thesis, because mm. I was so all over the place with like my career path. Like I was like, am I going to go into CG? Am I going to stay in 2D? Like it was, I was so all over the place. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know what would, what exercises would be best for like my like path mm-hmm. um but honestly yeah like if i could tell other people like how like the mindset they should go in it would probably be like just don't worry too much about the whole like will i get a job after school yeah like, just kind of focus on like what what part of the pipeline speaks to you um because i know some people in 2d they didn't like animation but they like backgrounds Mm. So it's like do backgrounds, like do more backgrounds, like do what speaks to you and what what you're drawn to and like the pipeline, um, and then focus on that, and then possibly get some outsider advice. Well, thank you, Sophia, for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you, and I wish the best of luck for you on your piece. It's going to be awesome. Thank you. It was great being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of The In-Between. If you like the show, you can subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm Javier Colon, and I will see you next time.
Oh man, I'm blanking. You just edit this out. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna edit this out. This is not. This is not saying. And oh, what's the? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then the second thing, I'm gonna sneeze in like three seconds. So just give me a second. Yeah, you <laughs> I don't want to have to sneeze on the podcast. <laughs> nope, it's not gonna happen. All right. So then, in that case, okay. <laughs> All right. That's weird. Um. Oh my god! Be nice I feel person. like I should not have said that incriminating stuff about about the year <laughs> the year before mine sabotaging I, each other's work. But that was what I heard from one of my two D professors. <laughs> <laughs> and as long as you didn't say any names, oh my god! In a way, I've I've been in I've been in both, so yeah, kind of you're double agent basically. Between the two. <laughs> Absolutely. <Exactly. laughs>